chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. So what we're going to do is next Wednesday is our last Wednesday night of the year. We're going to take the 21st and the 28th of December off. And then we'll resume back here on January the 4th, the first Wednesday of January. And we'll just dive right back into 2 Timothy. My plan next week is to only cover one verse because it is the foundation of all that we do here at the Oasis as far as discipleship and why we believe that the foundation of our lives and our churches should be discipleship. And this verse, more than any other verse in the New Testament, really explains what discipleship is all about. But that's next week. Now, Paul this week begins to sort of lay a foundation for that principle. Because tonight we're going to see that Paul is going to teach us how to be faithful and how to build faithfulness into each other, if you will. Because it really is all about faithfulness. And the reason I say that is if you go down to the verse we're going to look at next week, which is 2 Timothy chapter 2. I guess I should have said chapter 2 instead of chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 2. Notice Paul lays out sort of the foundation and foundation, foundational principle, I guess, of discipleship. And entrust what you heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. The key there is faithful people. So now, Paul, before he gets to that, is going to teach us and teach Timothy, here's how you stay faithful, here's how you become faithful, and here's how you build faithfulness into one another. And it's three principles, because last week we looked at the whole uh, how to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So tonight we go back up to chapter 1, verse 13. And we see that the first principle is hold to the standard of sound words. That's the first one. The second one we're going to look at tonight is in verse 14. Protect that good thing entrusted to you. And then finally tonight in chapter 2 verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, let's go back to chapter 1 verse 13. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you have to hold a great other word here could be adhere to, okay? Not just hold to the standard, adhere to the standard of sound words. Paul is saying, first of all, that God has given us a standard. God has given us an outline, a pattern, a sketch In fact, this word that's translated here for standard was a word in Paul's day that was used to describe the plans that a builder would get to go by when they build a building. In other words, these were the things that, say, an architect or a designer would hand over to the builder, and these were the the plans then that the builder would go by. It was their standard, their sketch, their outline, their, their pattern, if you will. That's how they built the building. And so Paul is saying to us, spiritually speaking, 
God has given us a standard to go by, a standard to live by, a standard to do church and all of that. And we've got to adhere to that standard. If we go off message, if you will, if we get off track, we are in trouble. And obviously he's directing this to a pastor. And certainly we as pastors need to make sure that we adhere to God's word and not veer off on our own opinions and our own thoughts, but stick to the word of God. It reminds me, you know, during the political season, sometimes they they tell politicians that politicians get in trouble when they get off message. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't get off message. Stay on message. It's the Word of God. You can't improve upon it. You can't do any better than the standard. And the other thing I think he's saying here is by using that word that can be translated standard is, he's also saying, look, Timothy, throughout history, that standard's going to be chipped away at. The standard is going to continue to be lowered. And and in order to accommodate people... And that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, if we're going to be faithful, it starts with us being faithful to the Word of God. And not trying to change it, or, you know, throw out the things we don't like, or add to it, and all of that that the Bible talks about. But adhere to the standard. And that's it, you see. And then he says, adhere to the standard of sound words. Now again, this is a phrase that he's used throughout these letters to Timothy. 1 Timothy and now 2 Timothy. And it simply means words that will produce spiritual fitness and spiritual health. Uh, we get the sort of the word hygiene from the word sound. Or you could even talk about something that is sound being something that is stable. Something that you know, won't easily uh, break down, if you will. And so he's saying, look, the words that God has given us, if we use them and we adhere to them, it's going to produce faithfulness in people and in our lives. But we've got to make sure that we stick to it and don't again get off track into other things that are not as sound as the standard of God's word. So, again, though, we can maybe say, well, that applies to you pastors because you teach the Word of God. You've got to make sure that you hold to it. But really, it's every Christian's responsibility because we've got to hold to that standard in our own lives. And all of us can sort of get off track and, and begin to, in a sense, uh, replace the Word of God with other things that maybe in in our lives become just as much uh, of an influence in our lives as the Word of God. And that's when you and I get into trouble. It's, It's like what Jesus told the religious leaders of Israel. You have replaced the Word of God with your own traditions. The things that you, you know, are teaching, and you now have put them on equal footing, uh, an equal authority with the Word of God. And, And Jesus says that, that's wrong. That the Word of God is always to have the authority and the influence in our life. And we've got to adhere to that. Especially in our day, as we move through this time in history. We all know, just for, forget 
the Word of God for a moment, we all know that just here in America, the, the standards that, that used to be normal standards, that, that, that we used to live by in our own country and, and sort of expect other people to live by, have continued to drop from generation to generation to generation. The standard always goes down as time goes on. Or at least the tendency is for the standard to go down as time goes on. And Paul is saying we can never lower the standard. The standard always remains the same. The Word of God is the Word of God, and God is not going to change it just to accommodate, again, more people. In fact, you know what? Now that I've hammered that enough, keep your finger there and go back real quick to the Gospel of Matthew. Because in a sense, Jesus sort of talks about this in Matthew 7. When he says in verses 13 and 14, if you want to not have any standard, if you will, doesn't matter. He says, that's the wide gate. He says, enter through the narrow gate, Matthew 7, 13, because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. But then he says, the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life and there are few who find it. See, Jesus, in a sense, saying, you don't want to adhere to the standard? Fine, that's the way everybody goes. Everybody goes. And, and, it, and it can accommodate so many people because there is no trying to stay to a certain standard. But if the standard is high, then fewer can attain to it. God doesn't change his standard just to make it easier. Because God understands that it's not about how many people can we... It's, it's about being right. It's about being correct. And it's about us as human beings getting to the place where it's like, God, you are right. I go your way. I don't try to make you fit into my mold or make you change who you are. You know best, so I go your way. That's what Paul's saying here. Then you'll notice back in 2 Timothy 1.13, he does make the point, he says, hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me. Notice that, again, God uses us in the lives of each other. And so he's saying, look, I pass this down to you like a, like a, a runner in a relay team would pass the baton. I got the baton from somebody else. Somebody discipled me and invested in me and built into me and, and helped me to learn the Word of God. And then I, in turn, passed it on to you. Now, again, Paul's going to expand on this next week when he talks about this whole verse about discipleship. But here he's, he's sort of throwing the seeds out there and dropping hints. And he's saying, you got this from me, right? So hold to it. And again, it, it just reminds us that God uses other believers in our life to pass along the truth of His Word to us. Whether it's in teaching or just insight and, and wisdom and all of that, God uses us in the lives of each other, which is why we need to have relationships with each other. 
Because as God works in our life, He wants to use that not just for us, but He wants to use that so that we can be a conduit, if you will, a channel to other people as well. And then He says this, Hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me, but do it always with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Yes, adhere to the standard. But first of all, do it in faith. Why does he say that? Because faith is trusting in and having confidence in what God has revealed. That's faith. And so he's saying, I won't adhere to the standard of sound words if I really don't have my confidence that God knows what he's talking about. If I believe that God knows what he's talking about and he has greater insight and wisdom than what any of us do, then I'll hold to that because I will, I will come to the understanding that there is no one that knows better than God. And I trust him. I, I have confidence in what he has said. That's why faith drives the ability to adhere to the sound words. If I don't really believe it, If I haven't bought into it, then I'm going to have a real hard time adhering to it. Because something else will come along, something new, that Solomon says there really is nothing new. It's just old heresy packaged a different way. And I'll buy into that because I'm not really sold yet on the fact that God knows what he's talking about. So that's why he says, hold to these sound words that you heard from me in faith, and then he says, in love. And there's a couple different ways to apply this. One is, out of our love for God, we should want to hold to his word and adhere to it. Because he's given us his word as a love gift to us. That Jesus is not just the only love gift that God has given to us, he's given us the love gift of his word to us. And if we love God, we will love His Word. And we will adhere to it and hold to it and embrace it and receive it and study it and read it and memorize it and meditate on it and apply it to our lives and use it as our standard of living. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. But there's another way to apply this as well. And that is in sharing these sound words with others, that we always do it in love. What does Paul say in another place? He says, speak the truth, the truth of sound words that God has given us, but always do it in a loving way. And then there's another way to apply this. And that is, if I truly love other people, I won't shy away from speaking the truth. Because if I truly love them, I will tell them, just like I need to be told, what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. I mean, God's that way. God loves us more than anyone. But God still tells us like it is. He said, now, you might not like this, but here it is. This is reality. This is the way it is. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you this. You see. And so that's another way to apply holding to the standard, but doing it in faith and in 
love. Now, obviously, too, he ends that verse by saying that faith and love are only found as we continue to live our lives in union with and in fellowship with Christ Jesus. As I live my life every day in fellowship with Jesus Christ, God builds into my life that faith and that love for His Word and for each other, and I will fall more in love and adhere to the sound words that God has given me. And then, verse 14, the second principle of how to build faithfulness into our lives and build faithfulness into the lives of others. Protect that good thing entrusted to you. I think the good thing that he's talking about there are the sound words that he's just mentioned in verse 13. Now, the word protect obviously conjures up in our mind the idea of guarding something and watching carefully over something. And again, that's certainly a way we can translate that word. And that's part of it. Because again, not only is the standard being lowered, if you will, but the Word of God is always under attack. And so we need to make sure that we, as Christians, are willing to guard and protect God's Word from being tampered and twisted and all of that. And it gets that all the time. So we've got to, it's our responsibility to watch over what God has entrusted to us, His Word. But another meaning of this word in the original language is to use it wisely. And so we need to apply that as well. Paul is saying, Timothy, you've been given this great word. Use it wisely. Because in a sense, just like any great tool or resource, there's a right way to use it and there's a wrong way. And if we use it the right way, it's of great benefit and profit. If we use it the wrong way, it can do a lot of damage. In fact, he alludes to this over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Notice this verse where he tells Timothy, Make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed, teaching the message of truth accurately. Which implies that there are a lot of people that could teach the word inaccurately. Not using the word wisely or correctly. And that's part of how you and I protect the Word of God. Is not only, you know, guarding it from being tampered or twisted, but also making sure that when we use it, we use it properly. We use it correctly. That we are, are giving folks the proper interpretation of the Word of God. It would just be like a pharmacist, if you will. If they give out the proper medicine, the proper prescription for something, some illness that a person has, obviously that person starts to feel better rather quickly and, and can then eventually be totally well. But if a pharmacist gives out the wrong medicine for a particular condition, oh my goodness, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen there. And that's where it behooves all of us as followers of Jesus Christ who've been entrusted with this great 
word that gives soundness to our lives, that we not only use it, but that we make sure that we use it correctly. Which means that you and I have to invest in making sure that we're being taught the word of God correctly and that we're getting the right teaching in our lives. Or else we're just passing on along bad information. Now let me also stop here and remind all of us of this great thought. And that is, just with what, with what we've talked about so far tonight, do you see the great investment that God has made in each one of our lives? God has invested a lot in us. In that you think about all the resources that God has entrusted to us. He's invested a lot. Sometimes maybe we don't think of it that way, but He really has. And He wants to invest even more and more in us because again, in us, He sees all of this great potential not only to, to live life to the, to the you know, highest level, but then to, to allow His life in us to positively affect so many other people's lives. Which is what it's all about, right? Isn't that what Jesus said even as far as the basics of discipleship? When the very first men that he met and called his disciples, he said, follow me and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. In other words, it's not going to then stop with you. I'm going to disciple you so that then in turn, you can go out and you can draw others to me as well. It never ends with us. It's to be a never-ending cycle of God investing and pouring into our lives and then we go out and touch more and more lives. That's why we need to hold to the standard of sound words because that's the only way we're going to be faithful and build faithfulness. And we need to protect that good thing entrusted to us. But I love this. Notice Paul then says this in verse 14. Through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. See, God never gives us a responsibility, if you will, without giving us the help and support we need to do it properly. Paul says, listen, Timothy, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. He will be there to help you be faithful, and to build faithfulness in other people. He will help you protect and guard and use wisely what has been entrusted to you. And isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will ultimately be your teacher. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. That even though you and I have human teachers that God uses in our lives, our ultimate teacher is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who confirms and affirms the truth of God in our lives. And so he lives within us. He's the one that puts up our radar when something's not right. And we go, ah, I don't think that's right, you see. He's sort of our barometer, if you will, to whether something is off or not. And so I love that. Again, always remember that to be encouraged. That whatever responsibilities God does give us, He always gives us the absolute needed help and support to carry it out well. 
We have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And then, the last principle of how to be faithful and build faithfulness into our lives. Chapter 2, verse 1. Because we studied verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1 last week. So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First of all, I want to talk about the phrase, my child. That is not a, a sort of a derogatory, it's a term of endearment, first of all. Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you're dear to me. I love you. You're precious to me. I, I cherish you. you. You're like my child, if you will. And you are my spiritual child because I led you to the Lord. But there's something else Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of in this phrase. And that is, like a child, a child is pretty dependent, right, on others to take care of them. And Paul is trying to teach all of us here that we always, no matter how much we grow and mature, and even how physically old we are on this earth, we are all still to look at ourselves as children who need to rely and depend upon the Lord and we need to rely and depend on each other. We can never live independently of God. Because, he says, the only way you and I can be strong and be strengthened and be strong enough to be faithful and to build faithfulness in others is in the grace that is only found in Christ Jesus. See, the strength of God goes with the grace of God. Okay? I want us to connect those two tonight. Because Paul does here. And it's a very important principle. And, and notice too that Paul is saying, I've got to be strengthened from outside of myself. Again, I can't go through life trying to live life in my own strength because there's an end to my strength. What I need to do is realize that I need to be continually strengthened by the Almighty God whom there is no end to his strength. There's no end to the reservoir of power that he has that he is willing to continually pour into my life so that I can keep dealing with what I need to deal with in my life and be strong enough to continue to be faithful no matter what the circumstances or situations are in my life. C.S. Lewis once said that Every Christian should either be in the dust, meaning to be, to be low and, and to be humble, or to be in heaven. That's the only way to be faithful. But then he went on to say, but even Lucifer fell from heaven. And why? Because of his pride. And what is pride but simply wanting to live independently of God rather than dependently on God? To basically say, I can do this without you, God. I don't need you. Which ties in very nicely with why Paul says that our strength that we get from an outside source, God, is connected to grace. We're going to talk about that in the minutes that we have remaining, but let me just say this. The, the concept that Paul is giving us here, think about a car. 
Every once in a while, we have to take our car to a gas station. Because in order for the car to have the power that it needs to continue to run, it's got to have fuel from an outside source. That's our life. We can't continue to run and meet the demands of our life from inside of us. As Christians, we have now the resource of being able to live our life with a power outside of ourselves that is beyond the natural power that we have as human beings. This is supernatural power that comes from God. And God wants all of us to be strong. Because again, most of the time, instead of removing the difficulties and the situations in life, God wants to give us the strength to deal with it instead. Which leads me to this first passage I'd like us to look at as the first of a few that we're going to look at in these last ten minutes of how we tie strength in with grace. If you'll turn back to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the passage on Paul's thorn in the flesh. Chapter 12, verse 8, Paul asked the Lord three times, God, take this away from me. And that's the way many of us would react. God, I don't want this. I don't like it. Please remove this difficulty from my life. And most of the time, God's response will be the same as it was for Paul. It will not be, okay, my child, I'll remove that. Why? Because by removing all the hard things, by removing all the obstacles, by removing all the difficulties, by removing all the trials, I never learn to really rely and depend upon the Lord, which is where my strength comes from. I start living life on my own, independently of God. That's why Christians go, God, why if you love me, do you allow these things to come into my life? Because again, God loves me enough, not wanting me to continue to live independently apart from Him. And sometimes the only way God can get our attention to where we will come back and start relying and depending on Him every day is when we have to go through hard times. So that's why God says to Paul, verse 9, My grace is enough. My grace will be your strength. My supernatural empowerment and enablement grace that I will give you will be able to allow you to navigate this thorn in your flesh effectively, efficiently, and triumphantly to where instead of it getting the better of you, you will stay on top of it. See, again, that's the way God most of the time deals with us in our life. The easy way would be, oh, God will just keep removing all the obstacles and all the bad things. But you and I never get stronger that way, and we never learn to rely and depend upon God totally that way. If things are going really well in our life, it's very easy for us to just start living on our own. In our own power, our own strength, our own ability. It's only sometimes when the bad times come do we realize, you know what, God? Life is more than I can handle. I need you. And we come back. Because there is strength in grace. Because notice what God goes on to say. 
Not only is my grace enough for you, Paul, for my power, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you as a human being, when I as a human being am willing to say, I can't do this on my own. I can't live independently of you, God. I need you. I must depend on you and rely on you. That's when the power comes. Because then we're no longer living in our own strength. We're now living in the strength that God is supplying us. That's why Paul then ends this passage in verse 10 by saying, Whenever I'm weak, I realize I'm really strong. I'm weak in myself. But I realize that now there's a strength that is way beyond me. That's why Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'm living now with a power, a strength outside of myself. It's like Paul realized now how great it is to be able as a Christian to pull into the gas station, if you will, of God and get filled up with God's power and be able to zoom out and, and really have this unbelievable strength to live by no matter what the circumstances. Instead of trying to stumble and fumble through with what little strength you and I have as human beings. That's why the prophet Isaiah says, why do we not wait on the Lord and allow Him to renew our strength? Because we always want to run ahead of God. And God's timing is not our timing. And that's why the Bible says, wait. Don't, don't start distrusting God. Just wait. Keep your single confidence in God and wait on Him and keep looking and anticipating and expecting Him and you'll get that strength. Next, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. I got a truck here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Notice my willingness to pray and to humble myself and go to God and admit, God, I got a need. I can't handle this on my own. I need you. Then God says, my grace will be dispensed and you'll, you'll have your help. But again, you and I, just like 2 Corinthians 12, we have to acknowledge our weakness. We have to acknowledge our limitations. In a sense, we have to humble ourselves. It is through humility, and we're going to see this in the next two verses, that God's grace is unlocked. Pride, which is why the Bible says God hates pride because He sees what it does to human beings and what it even did to Lucifer because it's what caused Lucifer to get to a place where he fell away from God when he said, God, I don't need you anymore. I can do this on my own. And none of us can do it on our own. We need God. So it's when we humble our... And that's why prayer, our prayer life, of confidently approaching the throne of grace, saying, God, I need you and I'm praying for this and will you help me? 
That's, that's being humble. That's why many times I, I tell Christians, your prayer life is the barometer of your humility. If we don't pray very much, then we think we can handle things pretty well on our own. If we're always praying about things and praying to God, it's probably because we realize how much we need Him. Which is why prayerlessness in the church and prayerlessness amongst Christians is really a, a sign and signal of our pride. We think somehow we can get along with God, so we don't need to approach the throne of God regularly and ask for His help, which is always there. It's always available. But God wants to see that we are willing to lay aside our pride and our independent, you know, nature and come to Him and say, God, I need you. Two more verses. The book of James. Just keep going right past Hebrews into James chapter 4, verse 6. And I don't have the time to develop this tonight, take the context. But in verse 6, he says, He gives greater grace... Therefore, it says, the Word of God, God opposes the proud. Literally, He sets Himself against the proud in battle. But He gives grace to who? The humble. So again, connect that back to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How am I strong? By actually recognizing my weakness. And by humbling myself and going to God throughout my day and saying, God, I need you. I need you. I need to rely on you. I need to depend on you. I'm praying about this, God. I need to seek your wisdom. I can't figure this out on my own. God gives grace to the humble. So again, the only way you and I can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is by humbling ourselves before God. Instead of living independently of God. One more. And then we'll wrap this up. Peter quotes the same verse. 1 Peter 5. Verse 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another even. Because again, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under His mighty hand. Of course, he goes on by casting all your care. That's how we demonstrate our humility. So Paul is saying, the only way we can be faithful and build faithfulness into others is not only by holding to the standard of sound words and protecting that good thing that has been entrusted to us, but also by teaching all of us and reminding all of us that the only way we can be strong enough to be faithful and to build faithfulness is through God's grace. Not through somehow doing life on our own, independently of God and independently of one another, but by humbling ourselves and looking up to God and saying, God, I need you and I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is why he says, clothe yourselves in humility toward each other. So many Christians say, I don't need fellow, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of it. I don't need to have my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we do. We need each other. Because again, God wants to build us up 
and invest in our lives so that not only benefits and profits us, but so it spills out to those around us. But the only way that the strength of God continually is present in our lives is when we live by grace and realize that, again, we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, but it's always there for us if we just humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. I need you, God. I need to depend on you and rely on you. And when we do that, God pours His unlimited power into our lives, a strength beyond ourselves to be able to handle whatever life brings. Because one more time, I'll say this and then we'll close in prayer. Most of the time, just like with Paul, God will not remove the difficulties and the trials and the obstacles and all of that. Because if he did that, then we would think we don't need him. And we wouldn't be learning to live by grace. So God says, I want to teach you that if you live by grace, not only will you have the strength to be able to deal with whatever you got to deal with, but you'll see that you can deal with whatever life brings. Because my grace is enough. It doesn't matter what it is that you have to deal with. It doesn't matter what the situation is, what the trial is, how desperate the situation is, how big the situation is. God's grace is enough. Because God is enough for us. And that's what God wants us to remember. That's how you and I become faithful and build faithfulness, not only into our lives, but into the lives of one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this unbelievable grace that you are willing to pour out into our lives at all times. For every situation, if we will just come to you and say, God, I, I need you. I can't do this on my own. So God, I pray tonight that all of us would once again just be reminded of the importance of humility in our lives. Because pride is just... It's ever-present. It's always there. It always creeps in very subtly into our lives to where sometimes we don't even realize that we are living pretty much on our own. And we're not really living in your power and in your strength through your grace that is only found in Christ Jesus. God, I pray tonight that we would recognize that more and that, Lord, we would just be more aware of when that comes into our life and that we would come running back to you and just confidently approach your throne and say, God, I need your help. And know and trust that God's help will be there for us and that his grace is enough 
for each and every situation. God, thank you for these encouraging words tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you one more week.